This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, October 29, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. Robert A. Heinlein wrote about various futures through the lens of his own time, and the pictures he painted inspired scientists, artists, and for better or worse, creators of today's weaponry. Biographer William H. Patterson is author of Robert A. Heinlein in dialogue with his century. We spoke following a forum for the book held last week. You said in the forum that uh, Heinlein at some point compared himself to Horatio Alger. And that actually kind of struck me because when I uh, know get to know somebody who's a, a bright teenager, it's not uncommon for me to give them a copy of something like Starship Troopers or The Moon is a Harsh Mistress just because it's a, it's a cool story mm-hmm. uh, about uh, dealing with some serious problems that are uh, nonetheless very fantastic. What was he trying to say in uh, trying to compare himself to Horatio Alger. Well, the the at the time that Heinlein was born, and probably for the next fifteen twenty years thereafter, uh, Horatio Alger was the leading children's uh, book writer in the world. There's something like two hundred and thirty or so Horatio Alger books, and uh, we've uh, come to think of them as very last century, uh, last century before last, and they certainly were. They they embody those those values of persistence and integrity and marrying the boss's daughter and other similar values. Uh, persistence, integrity, uh, stick-to-itiveness, uh, honesty, uh, all of those things. And those he got, he got those values not only from his personal upbringing and his family, but also from the reading those Horatio Alger books. And so in 1959, he says to his editor, I've been writing the Horatio Alger novels of this time, this era. You also mentioned that he was trying in writing a lot of the juveniles uh, to get subversive ideas into the hands of uh, his readers. Who did he view his readers to be, and what were some of the ideas in those juveniles that he was trying to get to those people? Well, those uh, the, his readers, he, he was always very clear about his readers. His readers were uh, young young people, boys and girls. Uh, he, he wasn't aware initially that the girls were reading them as much as they were, but he certainly found out because they wrote to him and they told him. So by the time of Red Planet, which is written in 1949, he's aware of of exactly who is reading his books. But he also becomes aware that the the ideas the editor had didn't quite match up to his experience and the feedback that he was getting from his readers. And he becomes more and more aware over the years that his readers are not the people that are buying his books. So his readers are not the ones that uh, uh, his editor is trying to serve. His, his editor is trying to serve uh, uh, essentially librarians. And if you can think back, well, you personally are, are much too young, but at, at, in 1949, 1950, 1951, editors were, pardon me, librarians were, were kind of school marmish, and they, they viewed themselves as the dragons at the gate of American culture. Uh, they, their own people they had to serve were the parents, uh, and increasingly parents who were completely out of contact with their kids, with what their kids were reading. So uh, the guardians, uh, the librarians were the guardians of the gates at culture, and there were, they wanted to keep the kids wrapped up in cotton wool so that they would not experience what life was really like, but only they would experience the... Uh, the propaganda, let's put it that way. 
Um, the most valuable thing that Heinlein felt he could give his readers was a sense of how the world really worked, what was out there and what it actually worked like. So almost unique for children's literature in 1950 and on in through the decade of the 1950s, you would find things like a broken home, an abusive father, uh, a stepfather uh, coming into a marriage and, and upsetting everything. These are things that uh, have, have since that time, and, and largely because of his groundbreaking work, have entered the, the world of experience even of, uh, of young people. But in 1950, 1951, these were, these were hardcore stuff. And uh, so he viewed himself as having to get stuff like that past, past the buyers so they could get to the readers. Um, so when I say the Heinlein is subversive, it's, it's, he's trying to subvert <clears throat> and, and very deliberately trying to subvert the, the guardians at the gate. Uh, so it's things like what he regarded as subversive was these truths about how the world works that they don't want the kids to know. That's kind of a general formulation for it. When I, uh, I recently listened to uh, an interview that had been done some years ago with uh, Robert Anton Wilson, who had co-written the Illuminatus trilogy, which is a, a book I read in, in early in college mm -hmm. and really enjoyed a great deal. He said while they were out looking for a publisher for what they thought was this fantastical story of corruption and conspiracy, uh, a bunch of crazy events, Watergate uh, being one of them, were unfolding. And they're like, we thought we had written this ridiculous story, and a lot of the events here are sort of... Uh, type, these types of events are actually occurring now. Yeah. Uh, and Heinlein, as, as you point out, a lot of the things that he talked about, uh, weaponry, in, in terms of weaponry, uh, were eventually, uh, at least in, in some form, adopted. Did, did he have any reaction to that kind of thing? Well, uh, I wouldn't say specifically uh, to that kind of thing. Uh, we, we have a tradition now of military science fiction that is regarded as a separate thing. And at the time he was writing things like Starship Troopers, it wasn't a separate thing. It was just a story, a story within a science fiction or a speculative framework. Uh, but what he did talk about was the nature of prediction. And uh, uh, one of the things that, that, that comes with me, stays with me, is that he says there's some, some forms of prediction that are essentially just looking out the window of a train and seeing what's on the track coming toward you. Uh, to a certain extent, weaponry development is, is that kind of looking out the track and seeing what's coming at you. Um, uh, because there's an awful lot of stuff that people push out of consciousness, even when it's available for them. So it, it comes on them like, I hate to say this, but this economic crisis we're in now has been, has been known to be on the way since the 1980s when, when Harry Brown writes a book like How to Survive the Coming uh, Depression or Inflation, I forget exactly the title. That's the kind of, the, the, the economic crash we're in now is, has been predicted on exactly that basis of just look out the window and see it coming at you. And I should say, before we get too far away from it, that predictions in the field of economics are much, much, much harder than the f predictions in the field of weaponry. Did Heinlein's audience, these young people, did they grow up with him? That is to say, did, was he able to keep a lot of these uh, kids as they got older and his writing uh, became uh, more sophisticated? Certainly, the audience that Heinlein built up 
did stay with him. And, uh, you know, in these juveniles in particular, he's constantly pushing the idea of, of uh, learn science, learn math, learn languages, learn history, because if you, learn, if you know these things, then it's possible to learn anything else. And uh, pushing science education was, was one of the things that appears over and over and over again in these books. And sure enough, the, it was the people that were reading the Heinlein juveniles that went into medicine and, and, and engineering and, and in particularly into space. And there was an entire generation. Uh, the people that were in the blockhouses during the Apollo era were all people that he had raised on his juveniles. <clears throat> I think in the, in the early 70s, Jerry Purnell took an informal poll of the administrative levels at NASA and said uh, he found something like 70% of all the top-level administrators directly credited Heinlein for uh, their choice to go into the, the fields they did. In working on what will be volume two of, of this, what is the most surprising thing that you have discovered about uh, Heinlein? Well, uh, it's, it's not a fact in particular. Um, Heinlein did thus or so, or thus or so happened to him. But, uh, uh, and this also crosses over for the writing of both volumes. I was surprised by how much detail of Heinlein's interior life was available. Uh, he had put a seal on his correspondence that was supposed to go till something like 2030. Um, and I was given access at the time that the, everything was sealed. Now, since Virginia Heinlein's death, the archive has been unsealed and, and, and everything is available. Uh, but there was something like 300,000 pages of letters of, of varying degrees of intimacy. And when he was intimate, he was very intimate. He was talking about things that it's unusual for people to put in print uh, in correspondence even today. Um, so the amount of material available to talk about Heinlein's interior life, not only his, his thoughts and his cognitive life, but also his emotional life, was very surprising to me. And I think it'll be surprising to the readers, too. Who are the writers who write science fiction in the last few decades who uh, trace their uh, writings most directly uh, to Heinlein? Yeah, that's a very, uh, a very broad question. Um, there is certainly a current generation of writers working um, that are tremendously influenced by Heinlein and acknowledge it, but in very different ways. Um, Joe Haldeman, for example, is someone who acknowledges uh, his, his direct legacy of interaction with Heinlein. And, and uh, uh, the particular, he, his relationship with Heinlein was a, of a question and answer type. He, he reads Starship Troopers, which was written in 1959, and he thinks about some of the um, questions and issues that are raised, and particularly in the relationship of a soldier to its command, and he filters that through his experience in the Vietnam War. And so he writes what is kind of a rejoinder, the forever war. Um, and, uh, as, and certainly, you know, uh, having lived through uh, both eras, uh, 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 what he has to say about the nature of, 
uh, how command treats cannon fodder uh, were certainly uh, certainly valuable. And it's not something that appeared much in Heinlein's book because he was interested in a different question. He was interested in, in, in the, the, the very basic question of why is it, why should young men in particular put themselves, as the Star Spangled Banner has it, to be put their frail bodies between war and home's war's desolation, home and war's desolation. Uh, I think that's the second or third stanza of the Star Spangled Banner. Um, so he was, he was doing a philosophical uh, uh, exploration, incomplete, as he says. But, uh, and Haldeman had some very specific comments to make about very specific ideas. Um, Heinlein welcomed this. Uh, everybody around him expected him he would rip another a new one for Joe Haldeman, but he didn't. He welcomed that because, you know, what greater honor can a writer expect than that his colleagues talk with him about things that are important? Um, something that, that, that Heinlein was always uh, 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 very treated with great value, with great respect. Um, I think the, of of current writers, the the one who comes closest to being Heinlein esque is also someone who acknowledges his his being in the legacy of Robert Heinlein is uh, John Scalzi. Um, his his old man war, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, old man's wars, and the the three or four books that have come as sequels to that are uh, again they are direct rejoinders to Starship Troopers and to Joe Haldeman. So, you know, again, what greater honor among one's colleagues can one have that one starts off a, a thread of conversation that goes on through the years? Um, other people have pointed out people like Orson Scott Card and, uh, well, there, there were others. Uh, the, the military science fiction people like to think of themselves as special heirs, but uh, as I, I think I pointed out in the forum, that military science fiction didn't exist when Heinlein wrote uh, Starship Troopers. Um, it was a it was a subgenre that came directly out of the writing of that book. Uh, there are many other people working in many other fields, and the fact that I've mentioned a couple of names, I'll give you I'll give you one that nobody would suspect. Uh, I think uh, Charles Strauss, uh, who's a, a Scottish writer, is uh, is an heir of Heinlein in a way that. Uh, even he might not appreciate. Yes, he's written a couple of Heinlein uh, pastiches and homages, uh, particularly in Saturn's Child that was published uh, a couple of years ago. But um, the one thing that Heinlein always wanted to do is push the boundaries. And this has gotten him into more or less continuous trouble with science fiction fans over about four decades. Because when he starts writing the post stories, he said, oh, he's banned in science fiction. He's writing this pablum for the readers of the Saturday Evening Post. And when he starts writing the juveniles as science fiction fans, so, oh, woe is me, he's abandoned science fiction. And he's writing this stuff that couldn't possibly be published in Astounding because it's too simple. Um, and uh, in the uh, last uh, few years of his life, he starts uh, writing a series of books that are so uh, con contemporary literary, and the science fiction fans go, oh, whoa, he's abandoned science fiction. Well, he's just pushing the boundaries, you know. If the boundaries start getting tight, if the shoe starts to pinch, you know, there are other boundaries you can find. Find where the edges are and push them. 
uh, he, he used to say something like uh, his mission in life was to find the toes God made to be stepped on. And the people who want the same kind of thing he had done before, uh, he had no patience with that. Um, Charles Strauss is another one of those people who's finding new boundaries for us now. And I think that is the most Heinleinian thing about him. William H. Patterson is author of the book, Robert A. Heinlein, In Dialogue with His Century. You can watch last week's forum for the book at our website, cato.org.